Hello and welcome to the Mac Gamecast episode 34. I am John Carr as always and with me today is Casper. How are you, sir? Hey, doing uh, pretty good. I'm happy to have another episode on its legs. Yes, very happy to have you on. Unfortunately, our other members are unavailable due to busy schedules. Lily, Ted, Sam's been out a while, maybe we can snag them later. Um, mm-hmm. But today and really the next few sh- episodes of the show, unless something uh, groundbreaking happens in the in the tech game world. Oh, I'm sorry for already intervening here. Oh, but please. Speaking of groundbreaking, um, it's not like massive uh, yet, but WWDC has been announced for June 5th. Just Ooh, putting that out there. That's so nice. June 5th through June 9th, I think, if that fits with like uh, the schedule. But yeah, just wanted to like put that out there. We don't know anything yet, of course, but I just wanted to say that it's announced. Mm, Diablo 4 and launching June 6th. Coincidence? Probably I think not. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wild if they're like, and by the way, they just got to pull a Steve Jobs and one more thing. Yeah. Ta-da, here's Diablo 4 on the Mac. Yeah, that'd be cool. One more thing, 100 Mac games. No, <laughs> not happening. Yeah. Um, no, thank you for that um, uh, interruption. That's a good interruption because there's definitely going to be a like uh, one or two shows dedicated just to that when it comes out and we listen and see what's going on. Yep. Um, so for the next few shows, what we're going to be doing is uh, our best games of all time across the staff. As much as possible, of course, we would all get on the show, but as schedule allows, it could just be two of us kind of bouncing around. Um, so the format is top 10 or top 15. We're not going to number them like, oh, this is my number one. This is my number five. Just And uh, I set no date criterion. It could be from 80s. It could be Pong, whatever. It could be anything. Um, any game you've played you know, the most memorable, most exciting. It doesn't, it's not like length of gameplay. You know, I have games about thousands of hours into and they're not on my list. Right. You know? Same. Um, so, I mean, one or two of them made an honorable mention, but um, yeah, something that was either a memorable experience, could be single player, could be multiplayer, co-op, anything like that. Just mm-hmm. the best games subjectively for us. And then we're going to talk about why. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe throw out a couple details from their, for the historical record on, uh, developer or publisher, or maybe when we played it versus when it was released or something mm-hmm. like that. And Casper is going to be awesome and start us off with one of his favorite games of all time. And I don't know what it is, so I'm excited. Ooh, excitement. Um, yes. So, yeah, um, as as mentioned, it's not going to be like an ordered list. So this, just because it's starting out, I'm not saying it's necessarily the number one. It's just the one that happens to be first on my top games list. But <laughs> we're going to be talking about The Longest Journey. Uh, which, in my opinion, is not just a fantastic game, but a fantastic series of games. Now, I will say, uh, on my list, I have a few cases where I'm picking a game out of a series. I've sort of made like the rule on my list that if I bring up something that's part of a series, I'll only bring it up once, even though you can say like the entire series is my favorite of whatever. Right, like, maybe right. several games, but. So for the longest journey, I'm I'm gonna be mostly focusing on the first game in the series, but because I do really think. It's the very best of them. Um, I do recommend people play all three in the series because it's a very narrative-heavy game, and the whole point of it is the story. They all tie nicely together, and it's you know in our real world the release dates are spread out so wide that it's like it spans like twenty years of uh, storytelling, <laughs> effectively, right? Um, it, but it's it's a great experience. Um, I can recommend everyone play it, but really the first one also works well as an isolated experience and it's an excellent game. So that aside, uh, The Longest Journey is made by, or published by at least, uh, Funcom. Uh, and the main people, uh, or at least one of the main people, uh, Ragnar Chunkvist, uh, behind the game, has since started his own company, Red Thread Games. Um, and they self-published the last entry in the game, or in the series of games which is Dreamfall Chapters, the Uh second game being Dreamfall, The Longest Journey. Right. Um, Dreamfall uh, Chapters saw a native Mac release. The others did not, which for a story-focused game where all of the games are continuation upon each other, eh, a bit annoying uh, that you only get the last one as a native Mac version. But I will say the others, like they're old enough that you can play them through uh, parallels or whatever without issue. Though there are some tweaks that you'll have to do to an INI file to get the first one working properly on modern hardware, that also includes native Windows. Right. About the game itself, it's a point-and-click adventure game. 
Um, and I think in general, um, I'm not necessarily a major fan of point and click adventure games. So you'll, I, funnily enough, see uh, that I have quite a few games that are sort of similar in style, not necessarily point and click, but that sort of adventure vibe on my list. But I think The Longest Journey ex- excels in telling a good story, focusing on uh, a character named April Ryan, uh, who can shift between worlds. Uh, Stark, which is effectively the world we know, the world of science and technology, and the world of magic, which is Arcadia. And with this power of shifting between worlds, um, well, she has a lot of importance in the battle of the balance, uh, which is like keeping uh, the two realms, um, well, yeah, balanced, I guess. Um, And then there's uh, reasons why you would want them to not be merged together and kept separate with uh, a lot of interesting intrigue along the way. Uh, Very, very excellent uh, characters throughout that are super memorable. Like to this day, uh, the game came out like late 90s, I think 99-ish, maybe the year 2000, something like that. Um, To this day, thinking about like the parts of the end where April starts thinking about her uh, experiences uh, and we get more into like the character of her it almost brings tears to my eyes um it's that significant uh, an experience to me um and i cried when i initially played it as well um during the ending and there's also just fun in it you know Uh, one thing is telling an emotional story but another thing is games that just inject pure humor in a nice way and i think that's kind of rare in video games to have something that's just genuinely funny um but characters like crow which is a talking crow brilliant i mean i love crow um a lot of fun with with crow and um there's like these um they call them the little ones that sing to the soil beautiful character design they're like little moles but calling them mole people in universe is sort of almost a racial (laughs) slur against them Uh. um but they um they have like fantastic names that are just super fun to say like i can't even begin to say super long um but the little one just refers to himself as ben bandu and his full name translates to the little one who tries hard to live up to his father who sang to the soil wow it's just beautiful <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's a aesthetically super pleasing game really fun story um really a, just emotional story the one criticism i'll give which if this is a big turn off to you, eh, maybe the game's not to you, uh, to your liking, is that as with a lot of point-and-click adventure games of its time, some of the puzzles are just, you're never going to figure them out if you're just sitting there like trying to be logical about it. You're either going to just click on everything until it works or look up a guide. Right. Eh, I don't think it's that big a deal because I'm not playing that game for challenge. I'm playing it for story, dialogue options just yes. experiencing the world but that is the one downside it has but i personally find it fantastic regardless um, so nice yeah. yeah i mean it, to be fair you know has there been a point and click adventure game that doesn't have at least one ob- like really obtuse puzzle i mean maybe it has like <laughs> yeah. the classic ones at least um yeah, yeah. i know i believe there's been some like quote-unquote lighter mm-hmm. ones made like meant to be super casual maybe those are all more obvious or something but typically any of these adventure games with uh especially something that's story heavy lore heavy like world building detail heavy mm-hmm. there's probably something like lost in the weeds so to speak and you just stumble on it or mm-hmm. whatever <laughs> and like you said look up a guide i remember doing like, that <laughs> the, the one example from the longest journey that i just can think of that's just ridiculous out of this world is for no reason at all you fish up a rubber duck from like um a lake or whatever uh, and then you puncture it um you put a breadstick through it and you get something that can like remotely inflate it i forget what that is <laughs> um and then you use that as like a fishing hook type thing to fish some keys or something from train tracks wow there's, just, there's no sensible person who would do that <laughs> but that's the solution to that puzzle <laughs> right that is pretty outrageous yeah, yeah you're not wrong 
you're not wrong. No, cool game. You know, I there's several times like you know, ten odd years ago, I almost bought the uh, Dreamfall, the longest mm-hmm. journey, or Dreamfall chapters, whatever the one I had the max support. Mm-hmm. It was on my wish list multiple times. I think it was even in my cart or checkout at one point, but I never quite pulled the trigger on it. I can't quite recall why now, probably because I was always busy t- playing too many other things, but uh, I've always heard good things about the game and the series. Yeah, so I, I cannot recommend at all playing Dreamfall chapters if you haven't played the entire series. Um, for one thing, it just doesn't stand on its own legs very well. It requires knowledge of all the characters you meet uh, throughout it to really understand what's going on. Right. And for another thing, it's definitely hampered by being made by the then just started indie development company of Ragnar Chungfist. He was behind all the other games. He was the lead writer and lead producer and stuff. Um, but Dreamfall's chapters he made having just started his own indie development company, not with a big publisher. And the like, you can tell it has its right. issues. It didn't right. have a budget like the others did. It's it's noticeable and it's for the fans of the series more so than a game that I think is necessarily that good on its own. The studio has right. since made uh, another game similar in style, narrative heavy, um, I think if I remember, yeah, that was first person, but still like an adventure game, not like action or anything called Draugen. Uh, uh, it's a significantly shorter experience, but it is a lot tighter and more well-produced. And that's actually really good on its own. Interesting. I didn't know. I know we were talking about that in um, the Discord a bit ago. I didn't realize it was the same uh same people cool yeah they they are awesome awesome uh, and something that's actually kind of funny about dragon is that the developers uh, are norwegian uh, i'm danish and there's right. a lot of norwegian text in the game because it t- actually takes place in norway as a danish person i can read the norwegian bit because the languages are similar enough oh, uh, yeah. and it's like eventually the characters can figure out what it says as well but the character is like learning Norwegian, not that good. <laughs> so it's like I, I'm like ten steps ahead of the character, and I was like, "Holy shit!" That like lettering says uh, "child murder" or "in blood" or something, and the character's just a. Hold on, what does that say? Oh my god! <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I know. That's particularly <laughs> so interesting, and yeah. that's like an aspect I don't consider because I only play games in English. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not entirely true. At least in writing. Um, there's a few I've played, uh, like the old Stalker games. I did play in, I think it was Ukrainian. Yeah. Um, and with like English subtitles, I would do that in there. Mm-hmm. I, th- I can't think of another game or series. I think it was just that one. Uh, of course, I have no idea how to speak or read Ukrainian or Russian or anything, but I like the authenticity of the immersion yeah. uh, in the world. So I would do that. But that's, that's funny. Um, so I'm going to hop on a game. Uh, well, not literally hop on a game. I'm going to hop on <laughs> talking about a game. <laughs> Bye, I'm off to play. Um, <clears throat> although I wish I could play this game right now because it's going to be Max Payne, the original mm. from uh, Remedy, I believe, released in 1999 uh, or around there, unless it was 2001. It was around there, give or yeah, take a year. around there. Yeah. Uh, and there was a Mac port, although I don't recall who did it, honestly. Mm. Um, like, was it MacSoft or someone or the other in any case used to be a mac version there isn't now um it is a trilogy of games ultimately i have played them all number two is never on the mac although i don't think it was very good number three was on the mac though not made by remedy it was made by and it was horrible (laughs) i liked a couple um set pieces from the game but otherwise oh i didn't mean the game just the mac port was horrible oh yeah 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 it oh it was it actually deleted all my saves halfway through Yep. And I was like, ah, I had hair then, so I was actually pulling on it. <laughs> um, I don't have hair now. But yeah, Max Payne, um, you know, really, uh, I was I was probably too young to play the game, realistically. I was like 14 or 15, at least by the ratings. Although at that point, I played plenty of violent things, but I didn't have my own money then. I mean, I had my own money, but not like a credit card. Um, you know, I did work for my father and this and that, so I actually had money to buy games and this and that. Like, I'd have to save up, but anyway... There's a, there's a, this is going somewhere. So, <laughs> um, I remember going downstairs and, uh, I'd like made up a scheme to basically, uh, trick my mother into like letting me buy the game. Um, which isn't very nice of me now that I'm thinking about it, but you know, 14, whatever year old me thought it was perfectly <laughs> all right. So I like went downstairs and, um, from my room and she was like reading, I don't know, a magazine or something. 
And I like sat in the chair and kind of like, I don't know, I fidgeted a bit and I was like, so <laughs> I'd like to buy a game. You know, I've been buying games on and off at this point. Usually every couple months or something, I bought one. And um, she's like, okay, what is it? You know, because she would want to know. And I'm like, well, you play detective <laughs> <laughs> or you play a cop or something. I forget exactly what I said. Good start. And uh, it's like a murder mystery. And, uh, you know, you got to shoot a few people along the way. But like, you know, I totally played it down. Of course, you kill like hundreds of people in the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she's like, all right, it sounds a little violent or something, but like, it should be OK. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, you know, I, I think I had cash or gave it to her, borrowed her credit card and ordered it. it might even been on the phone or something hilarious back then. Uh, ordered a lot of stuff from like OWC or I think Maxoff had a catalog. Anyway, I somewhat illegally obtained Max Payne. And some days later, a week later, it showed up in the mail physically and everything back then. That was always fun. Mm -hmm. But um, I I thought it was an incredible game, both narratively, stylistically, action-wise. You know, it used uh, bullet time. A lot of people say it riffed on The Matrix because it released just after it. The developers say, well, they were developing the tech well before The Matrix ever released and they ever Mm -hmm. knew of The Matrix. So to them, it was original. Um, and it was, as far as I know, the first, or at least the first shooter, shooter to use something like bullet time or at least third person shooter. I know fear and stuff did that later, but I don't remember when it released. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I was blown away by it, like the whole slow motion thing. And it was all this like moody, wintry night in New York or Brooklyn or wherever it was. And there was all this cool voiceover narration and like hand drawn sort of cartoon panels or painted style. I forget it's comic book style, I guess. Yeah. Um, so sure, it's just a game of, you could say, boil it down. Oh, like shooting dudes in the face isn't what made the game great, at least by itself. It was the setting, the levels, the mood, the atmosphere, Max Payne's like inner pain and turmoil as he's going through this really long night <laughs> of killing a lot of dudes. And a lot can be said about presentation, right? The like yeah. presentation of everything is just really on point. Yeah, uh, and I forget if it was in the first game or it only started in the second. But they even had like little animations for if you were low on health and you like you had like movements. Oh, that like were, limp like, along. Um, yeah, I don't think in the first one you just had a little uh, bar like a human yeah. outline that filled up, and then of course mm-hmm. you just hit pain, pop your painkillers, and you'd be like, ah, oh, that old pain off for a while or something. You know, growl yeah. when you took it, and then the bar would boop boop go down. And there'd be a little like crunch crunch sound effect. um yeah hugely you know the style of the game like the three main factors for me were definitely its presentation style or slash style the action was actually really fun and challenging and you had to use bullet time to overcome like multiple enemies and sort of sometimes like dozens at a time or whatever um the story was really compellingly written you know with interesting characters and uh you know um the femme fatale i think it was mona or something Mm -hmm. shows up and throws a whole wrench in the gears and helps him and betrays him and helps him and betrays him. And it's like this roller coaster and it was just, just well done. Um, and I remember, so I'd bought it and then I don't know if I'd finished it or what, but I told my brother about it. Well, she had the same computer and he checked it out. I remember going to bed. Then the next morning I'm like, Oh, how far did you get? I assumed he beat like a level and he had stayed up for like six hours straight <laughs> playing it. And it's like, yeah. Oh, I'm already here. And I'm like, what? That's like halfway or two thirds of the way through the game or whatever. And, so he he was also blown away by it. Haha, no mm-hmm. pun intended. But yeah, huge fan of Max Payne. Um, I do like the series in general. I did watch the movie with Mark Wahlberg, which was not very good, but still fun that they made a movie. Uh, and mm-hmm. I hear they're making a Max Payne remake entirely. So it should oh, be like cool. next gen using Unreal Engine 5 or something. I forget I who's doing it. I about that. That's cool. I don't know who's doing it. I don't know if it's like Remedy or someone else or whatever, but it is. it is... You know, we probably won't see it for years, but I was super hyped. I'm like that it would replay. I think there's nice. even an iOS version of Max Payne for a few dollars or something. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't do mobile stuff, but big fan of Max Payne was really left a big impression on me with the story and the action. And it's just been a favorite mm-hmm. ever since. So there was also a really cool scene. I think that was in the first Max Payne. Um, where it was like a, almost like fever dreamy thing. I think it was Max had been drugged or something and they break the fourth wall where like you pick up a phone and it's like in this uh, dream sequence of uh, the wife yeah. being killed, which happens in the beginning. You right. pick up the phone and they're like, you're in a game, Max. It's like, what the heck's happening? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that really that's cool. in the first one. There's a couple of fever like dream sequences where you're running in the dark and then there's bloody paths and yeah. I mean, it's a dark game. Like, it's really a game for adults. Although at that point, I'd played a lot of violent stuff. I don't know what that says about me, but 
um i feel i feel fine but um yeah i mean now actually more i think about it it really was an intense game yeah your wife gets killed and again your kid by like drug addicts that's what spurs off the story and Mm-hmm. Really finding the source of the drug leads to all this corporate corruption and distribution of illegal drugs or something like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. Max taking them all out at the end. Um, yeah. Cool game. Cool series. Number two wasn't as good. Like, I would happily skip it other than maybe a few set pieces. Three was a lot of fun besides the poor Mac port. Um, I, I don't know. I think number two had its its value and I would definitely recommend it if people haven't tried it. But I agree that the first one was better. Well. Okay, here's what I mean about number two. Story-wise, it's great. It's really like intensely personal about Max and Mona and really goes into like their journey in history or or not necessarily history, but their relationship, I guess, if that's probably the best word. And that part is well done. But I didn't like the, the well, for one, they made Max look totally different. Funny enough, he actually looks complete, like a completely different character in every game. So there is that. One. Yeah, I think that's intentional in the third one, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I think so. Um but the visuals were a little weird. The shooting just somehow wasn't quite as crisp, even though they added a couple things like a mm. speed reload and, and a bullet time or something. But I don't know. They changed a couple systems and the visuals, the, the levels weren't quite as fun for me either. A lot of indoors right. and cramped corridors and offices. And But the story was great. The story was just as well written and really intense. And I remember it had a, I think it has a secret ending, if I recall. There's like the normal ending, mm. which is basically bad and tragic. And then there's some sort of alternate secret ending, which is like nicer. Um, didn't know that but yeah i think i mean when i think back when i think back to max Payne 2 i I honestly can't remember any about like how it felt to play i just remember like a good story it was basically max Payne mostly all i recall about it but yeah yeah Yeah. um but that's 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 mine nice um so the second game i'd like to bring up um is gothic 2 which i've actually been replaying a bit of uh fairly recently um, and as I mentioned before, it's part of a series, but I'm picking two specifically. Um, with Gothic, I'll say that number one and two are similar games, and I can recommend both of them. Number three is a very different game that I don't necessarily recommend. It at least is different enough to where liking one and two doesn't necessarily mean you like three. Uh-huh. And number four doesn't exist. I mean... They made one they call Gothic 4, but I refuse to acknowledge it because it's crap. (laughs) Uh, But they're remaking the first one, actually. Um, When I say they, I don't necessarily mean the original studio. A new studio is remaking the first one. So there's that as well. Um, But Gothic 2 is my pick because it's the one uh, I played the first when I got introduced to the series. So it has a special place in my heart for that reason. And I also think it has some extremely memorable characters and events um and it also just expands everything that was set up by the first game as for max support uh none of the gothic games ever had native max support um but a you can again play these through boot camp or parallels or whatever because they're fairly old simple games simple by modern standards right um and the Gothic 2 has what I think is extremely fascinating, a Mac source port where people in the community took uh, the engine off the Gothic and re-implemented oh. a Mac version. So you can get totally native, Apple Silicon native even, Gothic 2 running on Macs, which is just incredible. Awesome work by the community. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Gothic 2, it's an RPG. Uh, an action RPG, I guess you would call it. Uh, and it follows the nameless hero um, who is sent out by the fire mage Sardas um, to warn the king's men, uh, the paladins, uh, about dragons coming and the armies of evil that follow the dragons. Story-wise, it is fairly generic. Um, you, like it's just fantasy plot number seven right <laughs> of the 10 fantasy plots that exist <laughs> sure, yeah um but it's special because you know one thing is having a generic plot but again presentation matters and it's done in a nice way i think um it's also a case of a game that makes you feel like you grow a lot one of the very first things you do when you leave sardis's tower uh, is you get to a farm 
And if you're like very goal oriented, you you don't think much about side quests. You might just think, oh, I'll just go straight to the city and talk to the paladins and go dragons. Um, hmm. But if you try that, the guards will be like, okay, who are you? Why are you trying to get into the city? Uh, no, I don't know you. You look like a convict because you are you are an ex-convict in the game. Right. Um, they don't explicitly say if you were guilty or not. They're just like, you came from the prison colonies. Make up your own backstory if you actually did it or not. Um, but the, the guards, we're not letting you in. You're not a citizen. You you don't, right. Um, and you're like, okay, uh, what do I do? And you get a job at the farm as a farmhand picking turnips, right? That's <laughs> what you do. Uh, and I love that. I love that like humble beginnings. I'm just a farmhand picking turnips kind of thing, right? There's other ways of getting into the city as well, by the way, because the game does allow you to do all sorts of things. Um, you know, you can find an alternative. You can like swim into the like out in the ocean, get through the harbor that way. And as long as you're in there, you might be able to like find work from within the city, and then you'll be a citizen. And the guards will do it. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> nice. Or you can like. Um, so if you have the expansion, um, there's like a pirate you can assist in getting into the city as well. Um, Night of the Raven is the expansion. If you buy it on Steam today, you get like the gold version, which has the expansion built in. Uh, you can also like buy a pass from a traveling merchant who's like, just tell them you're with me and use this pass again. So there's all sorts of options for any type of quest in the game. You can nice. tackle it in many ways, but I just love that you're like, I'm just a farmhand. I struggle beating even like a young wolf called like an enemy titled young wolf. I, I can barely beat a fucking young wolf. Um, but then late in the game, you're just like, I'm defeating the undead dragon and I'm so powerful. You know, it really has a good progression. Uh, unlike a lot of uh, modern RPGs, like the Elder Scrolls, there's absolutely no level scaling. If a monster looks big and scary, be scared of it. Right. right? And I think that's great. But it also gives you so many fun tools to fight things that might actually be a little bit beyond your current level. Um, like there's a finite amount of scrolls, spell scrolls in the entire game. Oh, Once wow. it's used, it's gone, right? Interesting. So that means that they can make them intensely powerful because you get one or right. however many there are, right? Um, and last I tried the game, um, I got this scroll called... Uh, shrink monster i think it was called and there was this really big mountain troll and i just i could wait and level up a bunch and then put take him on but i decided i'm just gonna use my powerful shrink monster scroll and if it doesn't work i'll just reload or something right and before this like he, he hit me and i was flung seven feet back and almost dead once right i use shrink monster he becomes incredibly tiny like centimeters tall um, all his sounds change. So instead of going, Wah, he goes, Wee! <laughs> it's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, and his hits, they do 1% of my hit points. Uh, and I just stab him once with my sword and he goes, Wee! and he's <laughs> like, that's, that's one scroll is incredible. But I think there's just like one or two in the entire game. So this right. is yeah. really awesome risk versus reward type thing. And then, you know, you get, a fixed amount of XP for beating all the monsters. So, you know, high level enemies, you still get a big reward, even if you're low level. You get all the things. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And there's just, um, it's one of those games that aren't big in scale, but big in content. Um, mm. All the areas will just have a bunch of things to do, even if the areas aren't very big. It doesn't matter because you can do so much in such a little space. And I, I think that's really good in game design as well, personally. Um, and it's also it also does a cool thing with chapters, where as you progress the main story, it'll like show a screen every now and then going like chapter two, or chapter three or whatnot. And when that happens, you want to go back and revisit the areas you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure I finished everything in this area because the world changes as you progress through the main story. Uh -huh. um, and you know the whole thing is like this org invasion is coming and stuff. So when you reach, like, I think it's chapter three or chapter four, all the big scary enemies that you are warning people about start being in the territories that were usually or used to be lower level areas. Um, and all the characters there aren't necessarily prepared and stuff. Also depends on your choices and stuff. Uh, so they'll start having quests, uh, new quests that are like, oh, shit, there's a fucking troll here. Help me out or whatever. Um 
it was this really fun like evolution of the world happening alongside everything else. Um, so yeah, I, it I is impressive for an older game um, mm-hmm. to do all that, but it also reminds me of around that era, that maybe early two thousands ish era or around then. Um, games were very ambitious in a way yes. that unfortunately games rarely are today, if almost never. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, games like the Thief games, the original Deus Ex games, various RPGs, Definitely. like that added like part sim elements to their games and like choices actually mattered and you actually had like multiple options for quests or confrontations or whatever. Yeah, um, I think that there's yeah. a, a big level of trust in the players to figure out the options rather than giving them the options. Yeah. Um, that I don't want to say like the entire industry, but a large part of the games industry has forgotten. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's good that there are a lot of games that appeal to a wider audience. But I also think it would be a shame if we didn't have any games that appeal to that smaller audience that just really want something that just we expect you to figure these things out yourself. Not being like so vague that it's impossible to figure it out within the confines of the game, but giving you the information without screaming the information at you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would agree with that. And it leads me nicely to my next game. I actually can't decide. They're both on my list. They both start with D. (laughs) Uh, Dance Dance Revolution. (laughs) Let's go. Um, I'm actually going to talk about Dishonored instead of Deus Ex, um, even though... If I had to pick one game of all time, it's probably Deus Ex, or at least series, because I'm in love with the series. Um, but what we were just talking about reminds me a little more of Dishonored, um, which is from Arcane Studios. There's, there's Dishonored 1, 2, and there's a third sequel slash standalone expansion, Death at the Outsider, which yeah. I don't think was very good personally, but I've played them all. Um, but the game, the studio is known for making these more immersive sim type games, embodying a lot of the elements you're talking about. Not their latest games like Deathloop. I wasn't a fan of the other upcoming Redfall, frankly, looks nothing like what they're known for. It just looks like mm-hmm. a weird sort of generic looter shooter live service game. Anyway, not a fan. Um, but Dishonored super cool. It's first person. Uh, you play a like a you could say you play an assassin, but that's an oversimplification because really you're a um, like the guard of the queen or the empress, but she gets murdered, then you're framed for it and all this stuff. Um, and the the visual style of the game, once again, is very compelling, really cool. It's hard. I can't really describe the visuals. It's like, oh, this might look like Call of Duty or that might look like Borderlands or whatever. There's something about Dishonored I can't quite I mean, place, I, I, but it's super cool. I used cool. to always say it looks like an oil painting in motion. Yes, um, so, yeah. that's a good that's a good way of putting it. It's it's impressive, very visually. Even the first game, which is a little dated now, the second game isn't like blew me away. Even today, I think it's like kind of a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, so right off the bat, the story's cool. You know, I, again, sort of this. I like games that maybe you start in one position, then they put you in another. Like, oh, you're the guard of the empress. You're high up. You have wealth and power and connections, and then suddenly overnight or in one moment, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And then you're framed and on the run. And it does this all in first person, not in some cutscene. You know, mm-hmm. you're like lounging with the Empress or guarding her or whatever, like she's having tea. And then like this is sad, like shadowy assassin teleports in and uses some uh, magic to bind you or does something to slip by you and kill the Empress and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all like very visceral and in your face and really, really cool. Um, but it's, you know, it's mostly a stealth game, a stealth action game. Um, but what's cool is you also have a lot of choices. You know, you can be lethal, you can be non-lethal, you can avoid combat. Um, you can let people live or die or avoid them. There's little side quests to do. Um, the world's very well realized or it's compelling. The action is super cool. Um, the stealth is really satisfying. You can level up powers as you go along. Um, you come in contact with the outsider who's this ent- unknown entity from the void that helps give you powers like short range teleportation um, or like extra cloaking or I forget there's a whole bunch of powers you can choose. Um, But what's really fun about the game is it's again, this idea that it's really up to the player to progress. And I think you can turn on stuff like uh, arrows and trackers and this and that, but I turned all that off just to play the game and rely more on observation and listening to people talk, maybe finding notes. Cause there's a lot of uh, what do you call it? Like scavenging or rifling around in the game. 
mm-hmm. but it's really fun because the world's super detailed. Every room and street and place you go in is basically like filled with stuff. Like, oh, this feels lived in or um, realized, I guess is, is the word. It's not like full of empty rooms and uninteresting things. It's fun to poke around. And you can mm-hmm. find secrets and hidden caches and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I found I can't find too much to criticize about the game other than maybe it's a little gray. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, visually very impressive. Combat's really fun. You can engage in like direct confrontation, melee combat and stuff. You also have a, like a pistol and a crossbow, I think. But you're not really supposed to do that at least for any length of time because like alarms sound, more guards come, you have to run away. Mm-hmm. Um, but they give you like a real Swiss army knife of tools. You can build, craft, find all manner of traps and trip wires and bombs and like spikes. And I think there's maybe sleep darts. They just give you this whole like sandbox of toys to play in and a really cool level to uh, a world to play in with a pretty decent AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a very compelling story. And it's just really fun to explore, to play. Um, the story ratchets up to where I think to the point you end up figuring out the imposter and uh, I think there's something to do with a, a fake king or emperor or something and you do end up finding the assassin but it's you know there's someone else behind him who's pulling his strings and it's like the, the story isn't just like generic mm-hmm. um, it has some interesting plot twists and turns and you can directly impact the story yeah. okay I can't think of one criticism um and that in some games do this, the um, what is it called? The Metro series does this too, and I don't appreciate it. It has like a hidden karma system where if you kill a certain amount of people, you just die at the end of the game automatically. Um, it's just like, well, you died because you were bad. And but if you were non lethal enough, then you live. I'm not a fan of that personally. I I'd actually rather- agree. I disagree entirely. I think that's good because what they're doing. I mean, you, you call it a hidden karma system, but it's not it's not that hidden, I would say. I would say it's more organic um, because characters throughout the game does comment on and indicate uh, you are becoming the assassin that you were framed to be and all these kind of things right, right. if you act badly. So the game does sort of inform you through itself. It doesn't give you a number going like, negative 50 goodness <laughs> right, right. Um, but there are characters that comment on you both uh, if you're you know being stealthy and stuff you might overhear people talking about you but also the boatman who takes you to your next missions and stuff will come in and yep. um, i do think the game informs you enough in that sense that there is a form of repercussion to your actions it uh, no that to be fair you're right um that complaint was more levied at metro where it is much more hidden beyond an ominous like dong sound but right. to me that's mostly nonsensical. Like, anyway, I don't want to get into that. That's a totally different game. I and mean, we've talked about Metro on the game, the podcast before a year or two back. Um, this game's much, it is better. It's a lot more organic. And it's not like you die in the game. You finish the game. There's an epilogue where it's like, well, since, darn, I forget his name, name of character. Like, well, he killed too many Corvo? guards. Corvo. Corvo. Yeah. Like, well, he killed too many, one too many guards, slit one too many throats, and chaos descended on the city. That's all. I would rather have an ending like that, but then randomly it's inserted like, well, he died in the chaos or something. It's just like, Hmm. it felt like a weird side note in a game that was otherwise very detailed and meticulous. Right. Like, I don't mind dying. I mind the manner in which it was presented. That's what bugged me. It was just this odd little side note. Um, I can get behind that as a criticism. That was just a little weird. Otherwise, cool game. So you can, and there's also multiple endings. And not all of them are, it's not like black and white. Some of them are more also shades of gray. Yeah. Um, I remember being shocked at that, actually. The boatman in the final mission, he mm-hmm. did turn on me. He rang his yeah. alarm bell, and it was like, basically, F you, you murderous bastard or something, and rode off. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, uh, how, do, how do I say this? Uh, much to my thinking back now uh much my what's the word anyway as he rode off i was so shocked and angry i shot him in the back oh and then i'm like well i guess i'm just proving him right yep but he did just trip the alarm in the entire island and i am here trying to like save the nation against all the evil imposters so it's like come on man anyway i also i still shoot him though like did mm-hmm. he actually die okay oh he dies he, t- he tumbles over in his boat and the boat just drifts I mean that's really cool. I thought I would have thought at that point it, he was effectively like a cutscene, just bullets fly mm-hmm. through him or whatever. That's but cool. I distinctly remember this moment of shock where he's like 
screw mm-hmm. you, pal. You're, so I was overly murdery and I did get the bad ending. That's probably why I'm complaining. Um, <laughs> but super cool game and Dishonored 2 ratchets up even further. The story's crazier and you can pick to play as uh, your, your daughter, Emily, uh, mm-hmm. or Corvo. I chose Emily in my playthrough because I, I just came fresh off playing Dishonored 1. I didn't want to play the same character. And she has her own set of unique powers and, of course, totally different voice lines and story beats. Um in the world it's incredibly detailed and it's even semi-open world in some parts like all <laughs> like parts of the city to roam around and it's just very impressive game visually stylistically maybe those two are the same thing the story's great voice acting is <laughs> great the combat's fun the stealth's fun it's rewarding to make different choices and have them be impactful oh i have to i've been going on a little long about these games but i will be remiss if i don't mention their level design <laughs> which is really what the game the studio is <laughs> known for they have insane level design um, just really creative, really in-depth, multiple routes everywhere, a lot of verticality, um, clever nooks and crannies, just a high detail of the world, which makes exploring actually fun and different routes actually feel different, not just like, well, I picked door A or B and we went to the same place. It's like, yeah. you usually end up on vastly different areas or discovering you know, new NPCs or side quests or hidden loot or it's really well done. Yeah. Um, and they also did the level design for the much maligned uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood game, which to be fair, it was nothing like the previous Wolfensteins. But I played it co-op with a partner, uh, not a partner, a buddy, which was the only way, in my opinion, the game was any good. But the level design was noticeably fantastic. Um, I'm like, this reminds me of Dishonored a bit. And I looked it up. I'm like, oh, Arcane did the level (laughs) design for this game. Nothing else. They didn't design the gameplay or the story or whatever. Just the level (laughs) design. And I'm like, this is this is really good. It was really fun to fight in these creative areas. So, I actually think I've only ever tried like two Wolfenstein games, like Return to Castle Wolfenstein. I've definitely played that one. I think I might have played Wolfenstein 3D, but I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, and then I definitely played like the first of the new ones. Don't know which one. Uh, new Colossus is the second one, but hmm. the first one is also like New something or Colossus. They have they share like half that same name, so it's confusing. Yeah. It's difficult, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but fan of that. Anyway, big fan of Arcane. I am watching their upcoming game Redfall closely, but I'm a little dubious based on just trailers. Uh, I got to really check out the game. It's also $70, which games are going up, and it's kind of like, oh, plus tax. Mm-hmm. It's like 75 It's like, oh, games are getting pricey. That's a different discussion. But yeah. anyway, big fan of Arcane. I think Dishonored 1 or 2 are super cool. No Mac ports, but you can play both through, I think, crossover parallels. Um, there's guides on how to set it up and run them. I played it in boot camp, but I think they both hold up as like immersive Sims with cool, like not medieval, but like it's almost steampunky, I guess. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to talk about this game a little more because just talk about how brilliant one of the levels is in the first one. So it's the only level in the whole game. The game's like linear in a sense because the missions progress one through 10 or whatever. Um, But it's Lady Boyle's party or birthday party. It's the level, so it's about three ladies or sisters, and you go to this ball party, and it's not like you you have to infiltrate your way in, but that's pretty easy. But once you get to the party, your objective's actually randomized each time you play, so it's different, and you have to discover one of these three ladies who's plotting something or the other, and it takes quite a while. You have to snoop around, talk to guests, you know, act cool, blend in, poke through rooms over here, like scandals and affairs, and just... But the objective is actually randomized. So if you play it again, it's not the same thing. It's a different lady with like mm-hmm. in a different place doing something. It's it's brilliant. It's super cool. It's still talked about today as like a standout design. And same thing in Lava. The second game, it's I think it's that. What's it called? Oh, my God. Clockwork Mansion. Absolutely bonkers. The entire level actually just moves around all the time. Mm-hmm. Like insane. Never seen anything like it um, before or since. It's just just masterful. Really, really fun to play in. It's definitely cool, yeah. Mm. Um, well, uh, yeah. So uh, next on my list, um, I'm going to talk about like Final Fantasy X. Obviously, there's a lot of Final Fantasy games out there. Uh, mm. The 16th one is in production as, as we speak. <laughs> um, I say the 16th was like, way more than those. But the, yeah, because they also have 10-2 and like 13-2 and all that. But right, right. 10... Um, I played it on PS2 ages ago. I don't know when it came out, like 2004 or something. Um, and I, I loved it from the beginning. Um, it has like an HD remaster thing. Um, 
that last I checked, you could make it run through crossover, but it ran at like 10 frames per second on a powerful Mac. I don't <laughs> know about running it through something like Parallels or something. Might work. Um, but it's an awesome game. And it looks just stunning, especially for its time. Um, like it, if you played Final Fantasy X on the PS2 when that game came out initially, holy damn, that looked good. Um, and I think in part, it was like the pre-rendered cutscenes, honestly, because, you know, they could do all that offline. Uh, right. But they did it in such a way that it didn't feel drastically more um drastically different to the actual game like it it did but there was the gap was small enough that you know you still felt everything connected nicely right right but it looked so good that you know the way your mental processing of it all um the pre-rendered cutscenes and the actual gameplay was tight enough but good enough that the like aesthetics of the cutscenes sort of bled into the way you view everything else. So when you think of a specific character, you see them in like the way they look in the cutscene, even when you look at the non-cutscene version. At least right. that's like how I do it in my head, and it's sure. great. Um, a criticism of the game is that it had a lot of mechanics that were maybe overused, maybe just not that interesting. Like a lot of people thought Blitzball. I don't know if you know, like Final Fantasy tends to put Blitzball was this like in-game sports thing. And it was perhaps a bit dull. And like to get the best weapon for one of the characters, you had to like become the Blitzball world championship team <laughs> or something. And you had to play like a thousand matches or something ridiculous, right? I kind of enjoyed Blitzball in kind of like a weird, I'm fucking insane. I know this is terrible, but I like it anyway kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not a complex game. It's not difficult. It's not interesting mechanically. It's basically like I have the ball, I swim to the goal, I hit the shoot button. Um, it, so yeah, obviously Final Fantasy being a JRPG series, uh, I assume most pe- gamers listening to this will know of the franchise as a whole. Maybe not Ten specifically, um, but Ten was the first one that went full on three D, fully model three D everything. Um, and nice. e- even for that, like first attempt at that awesome game, um, as, as, as well as a lot of other games on my list, the standout thing to me for final fantasy 10 is the story and the characters. Um, cause that's, that's something that really puts a game in your memory, right? It can be incredibly good for, um, gameplay and all these other things, but a game having amazing story and amazing characters really makes it stick with you at least to me um and the story of titus and yuna uh, and lulu and riku and all these other characters it's in there permanently and just part of my uh whole yeah uh i, I have a lot of nostalgia for it and experience with it, it to a great degree um the gameplay itself uh classic turn-based fighty action game um in right. the rpg sense you know, either you like it or you don't, I guess. Um, I thought it was nice. I thought a lot of the encounters were, um, well, had a lot of uh, fun strategy that you could do to them. I like the summon system and uh, the like animations and character off the summons. They all felt fun and unique, and I like them. Um, the cloister trials, which was like these little puzzles that were included, sprinkled out throughout the game uh, that you would solve to get your summons. I thought a lot of those were a bit annoying to solve um, mm. in part because they were like, I understand what I'm supposed to do at this point, but it's just such a hassle to go through the steps of doing it. <laughs> and that's like the most annoying state a puzzle can be in. Cause you sit there for like five minutes feeling I've already solved this. I'm just putting the pieces together and it's, right. it's a hassle. Yeah. Um, and even like the puzzles themselves weren't that interesting. They were, some of them were okay, but most of them I didn't like. Um, and it, it was a very touching story. And uh, so some, something people make fun of every now and then on the internet is the scene where Titus laughs. Because it is a goofy laugh that just, it it sounds fake. But I think what some people forget when they make fun of that scene is that it's supposed to be fake. 
right? The whole point of that scene is we put on a smile because we're supposed to be the, the heroes of these people who are losing hope. They're supposed to look at us and regain some of that hope. So we put on a fake smile even when we're not happy. So they see that smile. So that the whole point of that laugh is that it is fake, right? Right. And I'm not saying like everyone who makes fun of it misses that point because it still sounds goofy and it's still fun to use in that way. Right, right. But it's not a problem that it sounds goofy. It's actually good. And I love it. <laughs> right. It's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Also just the music of the Final Fantasy series as a whole, but also perhaps because of the nostalgia, especially Final Fantasy X, oh, the music is good. Um, there is a... Um, so Final Fantasy X especially does this very interesting thing where it has like heavy metal-ish uh, rock music at parts and then this like soft, uh, almost classical like piano style or orchestral scores throughout the other parts. Um, it's, it's a really interesting mix that... Uh, it's separated in like the space you're in. So if you're in like Sanacant, uh, which is separate from the world you're normally in, kinda. Um, it has these like metally uh, bits, and if you're in Spira, the more magic-oriented world, it has the classical orchestral sounds. Um, but they mix together really nicely and just generate this awesome atmosphere. Um, and then there's this song that plays uh, when spoilers obviously because there's a lot of spoilers throughout these conversations but <laughs> titus and yuna like acknowledge that they're in love with each other uh and just uh Sutsukidane, uh, isn't it wonderful tonight or something like that uh, japanese to english i think that's right. what it's called plays and it's a beautiful song <laughs> you know i've heard like yuna's lullaby and stuff like that because i've I haven't been commenting, but I've never played a Final Fantasy game, but I've heard a lot about them. I've listened to a lot of their music. I've read some of the stories, especially Titus and Yuna, because they are cool characters. Um, so it's fun having, like, listening to, uh, like, really pour your energy into this conversation uh, and be really how heartfelt and uh, passionate you are about the story and, and uh, everything about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I never got into it mostly because I don't like JRPG combat. Right. Yeah. The, but, the, the combat is really an either you're into it or you're not. Yeah, but I like their worlds. I like their over the top style and animations and outfits. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, all these like, you know, uh, the stories tend to be really like heroic and uplifting and emotional. And like, I like that stuff. It's just mm -hmm. it so happens I don't like the combat. So I never got into them. But I think they're I think it's a really cool series and I can understand why it's so popular and so uh, long running, you know, mm -hmm. from whenever it started, even as you said, a new one's being developed as we speak. So, yeah, I mean, the interesting point about that is like the Final Fantasy games, even when they're numerically ordered, they're not in the same universe, they're not in the same worlds, they're not the same characters, they are completely independent stories. Right. So, <laughs> people again might probably have knowledge of the series, but you don't need to have played one through nine to play Final Fantasy X. <laughs> um, they they do sometimes do direct sequels, which is why they have like ten two and thirteen two and stuff like that. Um, but they are very independent. They share like commonalities, like uh, chocobos exist in a lot of them. These like big bird creatures that are cute, right? Um, and there's like the potions are called the same things and stuff like that. But aside from that, they're totally independent. Um, I can also recommend Final Fantasy fifteen, especially if you're not into the JRPG combat systems, because that's more traditional action combat system is that the mmo or that's 14 no the 14 is the mmo okay, also right. i think 11 was an mmo but yeah right but Lily 15 plays is more it, so she'll ah, probably cool. talk about it if we can pull her out of uh, pull her out of the military pull her yeah. off being super busy in the army <laughs> get her back on the but show I, I, yeah I, I can also recommend 15 because it, it, it has a very different vibe F 15 is like a very cozy game that's just like a lot of dark things happen throughout it, but it just feels like you're just on a trip with some nice friends a lot of the time, and it's really cozy and cool. Nice. Um, but yeah, ten is uh, is my ultimate favorite, probably due nice. in large part to nostalgia. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, a number of these on my list, and one of the ones I'm going to talk about next. I only have time for one more because I got to run yeah. for a birthday party. Um, we are also is, reaching our normal uh, episode. We line. are, but this is super fun. I just want to talk about these games all day because they are my favorite games. Mm -hmm. As I ran a little long with the Dishonored portions. Um, 
Uh, I'm going to talk about Escape Velocity. Uh, oh, I haven't heard of that one. From 1996 by Ambrosia Software. 23, 27 years old now. Good Lord. Uh, when did I even play this? I'm, must have been like 10 or 11 when I first played it. Uh, my brother got it. You know, it's a shareware game. Ambrosia was a Mac only, for the most part, shareware company. Uh, well, actually, Sea Velocity was Mac only. They later, the series is very successful. Uh, later turned into a trilogy. And the third game, which is arguably the best of the series, also got a Windows port because it was so successful. Apparently, a lot of PC users clamored for it. And they're like, okay, they released one. Um, but I was a huge Ambrosia Software fan. Their demos came on like every Mac Addict magazine disc. Um, I was always downloading them or downloading, installing them, playing them, buying some of them. Um, or my brother, actually, my brothers did. My my older brother, um, who likes gaming but rarely has time for it because he has a big family and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one of his all time favorites. Um, so it's a like a two D top down game, you know, uh, set in space, and it's just a very open ended space adventure. And speaking of humble beginnings, you start as just this tiny little shuttle on the screen. It's literally like this almost like little white box. You can barely <laughs> see it, you know, you got a little like puny laser pew pew. Um, you're not supposed to fight anything. Um, and you have to start out taking, you know, basic jobs. You got to shuttle cargo people, you know, just really like you open up a really nice, cool star map that looks like something you could imagine in astronomy or something with planets and, you know, Earth and Tau Seat SETI. I don't know how to say that all these other names. Um, they use real ones and a bunch of, you know, fake ones, I think, later. Mm-hmm. Um, so graphical, like, if I went back and played it today, I probably wouldn't enjoy it that much. But for its time and how much I played it, you know, it's the first game that really got me into space stuff and loving, like, sci-fi. Even though the game is reasonably grounded, there's only a little sci-fi in it, not, like, heavy sci-fi. It's more, like, straightforward. But the third game gets a little sci-fi. There's a bunch of aliens and stuff. Um, the first one's just humans have spread amongst the stars. There's different factions like the Federation and the rebels and, you know, there's various merchant groups and you can open-endedly join any of these and follow their whole storyline throughout the whole game. It's like a full game basically, but in that storyline, um, you know, joining the Federation and suppressing the rebels or vice versa to overthrow them, or you can run around and be a space pirate, which is what I usually did. (laughs) So does it actually have like an end story? Uh, yeah the game doesn't truly end it remains open-ended but the the story does have a conclusive definitive ending and it does permanently change the galaxy as well like ownerships of planets will change systems will get destroyed new tech becomes available um and stuff like that it was it was really fun and was that sense of progression you work way up oh you buy a new ship and this one's a little better and maybe do a little combat and you can fight off raiders or pirates or still go join one of the factions and like do their missions and um, you know, it had no voice actor or anything, simple sound effects, a lot of like pop-up text boxes, like you could go and land on a planet and then like, oh, go to the bar and hear like rumors or go to the job posting board. Or, um, if it was a faction based, it would be a button for them or whatever. And if you were in with them, you could get there, but also had a reputation system. So if, like if you joined the rebels, well, the Federation people hated you and would attack you on site and stuff, for example, uh, if you're pirated too much, you would have like bounties put on your head and this kind of stuff. So you might need to stick to the fringes. Um, but actually had, well, at least for the time, <laughs> what I recall being quite good storylines, uh, like interesting. And mm. you could name your character, but the story actually had, you know, named characters you interacted with, or even had relationships with. And, you know, friends came and went and it was this whole epic struggle. Um, but you could also just, you know, plink around the galaxy and do trade routes or you know, fight some bounties or whatever, but you could go explore out in the way fringes too and find like mysterious, like alien unidentified ships. And first game was pretty basic. Second game, I think was honestly terrible. I wouldn't play it. I wouldn't recommend it. It was just, it was the same game in the sense of, well, the same top down game you have a spaceship and it's the world and factions, but Mm. the stories were weird. The ships were weird. The combat was weird. The factions were compelling. Everything about it was weird. My brother and I hated it. We tried mm-hmm. it out and was like, ugh. Then later they released EV Nova many years later, um, which we, you know, the graphics were much more like modern. Oh, modern, haha. <laughs> but modern by that standards, they were kind of like 3D. They had real depth to it instead of being flat. There was mm-hmm. actually some like particle effects to things. Um, lasers and missiles looked really cool and just your thrusters looked cool. And it had six distinct storylines and also like, again, really good writing. Each game also had a whole plugin system. So the community would write plugins, new ships, new models, new storylines. And some of them were really epic, like as big as the game itself. 
And I remember downloading and using a number of them and having like an entirely new game experience or maybe just a whole another epic campaign with like cool custom ships and weapons. And, you know, it just really captured why, why it's a favorite is because it really captured my imagination. I love that sense of space and I still do. Like I just finished binge watching the Expanse TV show based on the books. Like I just get this sense of like wonder, discovery and yearning when I watch these things or play these kinds of games. Like I just really like it. And that was the first game that kind of like awoke that in me. Like, oh, not that I'm like a stargazer or anything like that, but I just love this idea of like, oh, going out into the stars, you know, one day is like. I guess I don't have dreams of, you know, being an astronaut or taking a spacewalk, although that'd be hella cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a fun game. Nowadays, it probably doesn't hold up. Definitely a little simplistic. You know, you could definitely like kind of game the game by figuring out certain trade routes and making tons of money and this and that. Um, but it, it sounds like a lot of the appeal of this game might exist in something like Elite Dangerous. I don't, yes. I don't know if that's fair, but yeah. no. Later, they made games like Elite Dangerous, and uh, what oh, was that's it? by the same people. No, not they. I mean, like in this idea, uh, right? What was I it see. called? Freelancer or something? Free? Yeah, yeah. There was Privateer. There was a bunch of these games mm-hmm. that, like, when I heard about them, I remember talking to my brother. Like, this game sounds like Escape Velocity, but in full 3D, and it's all yeah, yeah. you know. And we, I never ended up getting into them. Well, funny enough, I did buy Elite Dangerous when I had a Mac port. I failed mm-hmm. to play it, and then they removed Mac support. So right. I never got into the game. I, I think you can still play the Mac version, but you can't interact with the other players. And it's right. like a semi-online thing, and right. you can't enjoy any of that. And a lot of them, like things they added along the way, you don't get on the Mac version, stuff like that. And they've right. added but you're a not lot wrong. of things. That, it's that idea, but go back like 20 years and imagine how they might make it. Well, it's just flat and 2D and much more simplistic. But yeah, it's that sense of just open-ended sandbox space, you know, build up your ship you know, customize your, your, your weapons and build a fleet. You could, you could get escorts in this game too, escape velocity. And you could run around with all you could, cause you could uh, disable other ships, then board them. And oh, if you had cool. enough, like crew and rating, you could actually capture them. And then they were like your little vassal. So you could assemble this whole like fleet going with you. Usually you could only get small ships. Cause like the enemy factions had like enormous, like mothership space, not motherships, but like capital right. ships. And they yeah. could just like annihilate your little, uh, little fleet if you weren't careful and stuff like that have you ever yeah. tried ftl faster than light yes yes i have um right. reasonably the, big fan of that the boarding your, your ship thing you made me think of that and that's also a really cool game it does have a mac version as well it that's is like this it's a great game. space thing yeah it's my go-to travel game actually i think i still have it installed on my laptop like mm-hmm. it's easy to play on a bus on a plane on a train whatever and, yeah you know good save point yeah Mm-hmm. Space is is fun, and yeah, that's uh, Escape Velocity. Um, Ambrosia went out of business, unfortunately, over time. Honestly, most of the games are really nostalgic, and I adore Frazzle's Wand, um, Pillars of Garendel. They had like weird takes on Pong and um, mm. Centipede, but like bizarre, like Alice in Wonderland style takes and visuals and graphics. It was just they made a lot of weird games, and, and they published some that weren't developed by them, but other people, but. Anyway, mm. oh, last note, uh, a group is, they kickstarted, I think, last year. It's like a remake of the second game, the one I said I hated. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's called Cosmic Frontier Override. Because mm. um, the second game is called EV Override. Um, so the license isn't available. What's his name? Matt Walsh was the guy who developed the original game and Ambrosia published it. For some reason, he never let the license go. There was like clamor for a remake or a sequel of the games, but it never happened. Anyway, these guys somehow have some kind of licensing. They raised about what looks like 39,000 pounds, around 1,000 backers. So it's being developed slowly, Mm. but they're doing some sort of more, well, as modern as these kind of games can be remake called Cosmic Frontier. So if you're interested, go check it out. It's on Kickstarter. Uh, I don't know if there's a late back or anything, but you can see updates. And I just peeked and there's like a development video talking about combat and systems. And anyway, so it's underway. I didn't back it, honestly. Um, I mean, if, if, if it was the one in the series, you didn't find particularly. That was why I first I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to back this. And I looked into it. I'm like, well, I'm kind of dubious. It fully funded. It's fine. You know, um, it'll come out eventually. I can check it out then, you know, because mm-hmm. I've been burned on a couple of these games on Steam that I have bought. Are these more like, you know, that style, top down 2D, 3D mix or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And a couple of them were really cool, but ultimately never what I wanted or what I'd hoped to get out of like that style of a game. So even though they say they're remaking it, well, it's different people. It's a different time. And I'm also playing different kinds of games now. So yeah. who's to say like, oh, I'll just love it. But I'm happy it's still out there, like the spirit of the game, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's fun. So uh, that'll do it for this show. Um, but we'll be back. Well, maybe not next week, but soon. <laughs> with uh more games the next show could be us it might be me and ted hard to say we have to juggle schedules and get out episodes like hopefully not months and months and months apart Mm -hmm. um but whenever possible hopefully at least definitely for the finale like or like last game like we could all hopefully gather like three four of us Mm -hmm. i guess technically five of us (laughs) so we can get sam yeah that would be fun um we'll see what we can but this is our format for now best games of all time will be the next several shows possibly and Mm -hmm. we will go from there so thank you very much for your time casper loved hearing about what was it um longest journey gothic 2 and final fantasy 10 exactly thank you for listening to all my games especially Mm -hmm. the dishonored ramble that really stretched um (laughs) yeah so uh just to reiterate yours as well uh you had uh escape velocity dishonored and what was your first one again Max Payne. Max Payne, that's right. I had to think in reverse also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I picked mine out of order on my list and just bolted them like, oh, I feel like talking about these today. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, um, as we said in the beginning, it's not necessarily an ordered list. So yeah. no, it isn't. Um, it isn't. But it's a, it's super fun to like talk about these uh, games that have meant a lot and uh, yeah, and recommend them to people and see what the comes out of the it conversations. Is. It is. I love hearing the, the passion and emotion or the impact the game yeah. had a new whether i'll play them or not or have played them or not it's like oh this is mm-hmm. really interesting to hear about for me from your son mm-hmm. so we'll hear more from ted hopefully soon and at some point lily um and we'll go from there so thanks a lot guys thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time bye 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 bye